This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, January 16th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, smart works on bus tracking app. Local editor buys West End newspaper. State legislature jumps into business. And a mountain weather forecast. If you've ridden public transportation, you've probably stood at a bus stop or subway platform and questioned when your ride would arrive. For individuals in the Telluride region, soon you may not need to wonder. We are finally looking at a a user app that tracks buses that actually seems to be working. That's Carrie DiStefano, Operations Manager for the San Miguel Authority for Regional Transportation, speaking at a smart board meeting last week. The app, a free download for those with a smartphone, would show riders specifically where their smart bus is. All you got to do is download it on your phone. It's free and you can, in a couple of weeks, you'll be able to see our little buses. DeStefano notes Crested Butte and the Bustang use the same app to track their buses. She adds Smart is still piloting the app, working out the final bugs. But within a few weeks, they'll be sharing the information with members of the community to try and see how it works. The idea was that I just hand it out to random people and try to get a a wide disbursement of users and hopefully we'll we'll be able to continue in this manner. DeStefano says she hopes the app will enhance the rider experience. If they know for a fact that their bus is coming when they're expecting it, I think it increases their confidence. So Hopefully, um, it'll work out well. I'm cautiously optimistic. Smart Executive Director David Averill acknowledges this isn't the first time Smart has worked on a bus tracking app. The transit body was working with a different company several years ago. And that didn't work out. Hindsight's 2020, right? Maybe we almost swiftly from the get-go. Um, we re-engaged with them in the last few weeks. And I think we've seen more progress in swiftly in the last few weeks than we saw the first six months of EPA, frankly. Averill says, assuming all goes well, Smart plans to roll out the app to the full public during the spring off-season. The San Miguel Basin Forum newspaper has been a West End institution for some four decades under the local ownership of publisher Roger Culver. The paper is deeply rooted in Nucleat Natarita and the surrounding communities, reporting on local government use sports and famously printing the price of uranium at the top of each edition. Recently, Culver sold the paper to Reagan Tuttle, longtime editor of the Norwood Post. Tuttle sat down with Kodo to talk about taking over the forum, and she begins by remembering how she first came to the Telluride area and got involved with the newspaper business. I was a PhD candidate at Texas Tech, and so I'd been through all the schooling to teach writing or work as a writer, but I was like here and really broke and needed work. And probably my family was worried of like, what is she doing? And the Daily Planet needed an editor for the Norwood Post. So up to that point, I was like skiing and, you know, raising my daughter, Erica. And then I went to the planet and I was like, I think I can do this job. I think I can take Norwood. And I met Katie Klingsborn, who was editor of the planet. And she's like, I'll I'll hire you, but you got to prove it. Can you go do a story in Norwood? They have their Pioneer Day celebration coming up. And so then I went to Norwood to go do the test and... The first person I met was Raymond Snyder, 
who is kind of a legend in San Miguel County, was commissioner for District 3, and he'll talk your ear off. And so it was really fortuitous that I met Raymond. He told me everything that I needed to know about Norwood and Pioneer Day, and I wrote a good story. And so Katie hired me. That's what I've done for 10 years is, is do the Norwood paper. And what's some of the background of the Basin Forum? It's a really old paper. Roger Culver, who sold me the paper, had been doing it for 40 years. Before that, there was the Nucla Independent. Before that, there was like the Altrurian, like the socialist newspaper from the colonists that first went to Nucla. Um, they've, they've had a paper a long time since they've had a community. You know, Roger's done a great job. This summer, I actually went into his office. I was in Nucla and, and went in and, and just sat down with him and, you know, asked him, Roger, would you consider selling me your business? Like, I really feel like I could do this. I've been doing it for a long time for Norwood. And we talked a little bit and, and it wasn't hard to like come to an agreement. I think he was ready to kind of hand it over. He's worked for so long. And will you talk a little bit about, um, Small town papers, keeping the paper in local hands. Yeah, I wasn't the first person to ask Roger to buy it. I actually know that some out-of-towners had approached him, more like corporate type deals. And I mean, he told me he didn't want like somebody to come in and just like bust up his assets and then not have a newspaper. I feel like it, you know, it's kind of a legacy. It's something that he built and I've, I feel like he trusted me in continuing to do community news. We've talked a little about continuing the legacy of the Basin Forum. Are there things that you foresee changing? I think I just want to do a lot of really good stories right now. There's so much to talk about with the clinic. I really want to write about the school. You know, they have this multi-million dollar new school going in because of the best grant. And I want to cover that for the community. You know, the price of uranium is a different thing. I left the price of uranium off last week because I, I couldn't access it. It's not like um, public knowledge. You have to literally have a special login. And I think people were disappointed that that price of uranium wasn't in the news. So I'm actually trying to find a place to build that. And you know, like it or not, it's information and it's information that some of the people out there want access to. Some of their lives and histories were a part of Eurovan or a part of uranium mining and milling. They're connected to it. They're attached to it. Is there anything else you want to add about your own goals for running this paper? I, for me, I, I like honestly bringing people together in an authentic way. Like I don't want to gloss anything over, but you know, when you highlight what's going well in a community, I feel like it can really raise people up. Well, congratulations and thanks so much for uh, talking with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. <laughs> that was Reagan Tuttle speaking about her recent purchase of the San Miguel Basin Forum. The forum is published on Wednesdays and can be found across the West End. Tuttle plans to install a news rack for the forum outside the county courthouse here in Telluride, where it can be purchased for 25 cents. Colorado's General Assembly is just one week into its 2023 session, but lawmakers have already introduced over 100 bills. In this installment of Capital Conversation, KOTO State House reporter Lucas Brady Woods talks about priorities for the legislature this session. 
Lucas, thanks for taking a couple minutes to chat with me today. As always, thank you for having me. So we're just one week into the legislative session for 2023 in Denver. How does it feel that everyone is settling into this new session? Well, I've heard this a few times so far that the legislature feels a little bit like high school. And I think that I would I would agree with that in the sense that everybody right now, lawmakers, staffers, reporters, really is excited to be there. It's the start of the session. Everybody's coming together. And there's really a, a collegial atmosphere between lawmakers, especially. And that goes across parties. Um, you know, everybody is just excited to be there. And, and, you know, we'll see if that collegial nature continues throughout the session. But for the moment, everybody seems very happy to be there, happy to be together and, and happy to get to work. Despite the fact that the session just started, it seems that lawmakers are really like jumping into action, getting a lot of bills introduced in the first week even. What are they looking at? So far, the bulk of them are focused on education, crime, transportation, and fiscal policy. That's not to say those are the focuses of the legislature. That's just what has come out so far. And um, keep in mind, each lawmaker is allowed to request five pieces of legislation to be considered by the General Assembly. So, you know, we haven't seen all five of those from every member um, yet. Uh, not, not that each of them will request five, but they will request normally multiple. Um, and, uh, you know, a few things that have been introduced so far that are interesting. There's a few mental health bills that, that have been introduced, and those deal with uh, mental health in schools and actually crisis and suicide in higher education. Um, so those will be interesting to watch. And then another one that I find very interesting is one that aims to make epinephrine injectors more accessible. Epinephrine are, are also known as EpiPens, and, and they're meant to treat acute allergic reactions or asthma attacks uh, in the moment to stop that reaction. And, and over the last 10 years, they have actually become very expensive. So this bill will aim to, um, to make them more accessible. In addition to lawmakers being sworn in last week, Governor Polis was also sworn in for his second term. We'll be getting his State of the State address later this week. But what have you heard in terms of his priorities for the session coming up? Well, I got to say, the inauguration was super, super fun. They, they had a giant cannon <laughs> that fired blanks from Civic Center Park right in front of the Capitol that scared the daylights out of just about everybody I could see because it was so loud, including the governor himself who jumped out of his skin, even though he knew it was coming. But um, Governor Polis, he said he's going to really continue the work he started in his first term, um, you know, given that he received a pretty high percentage of, of votes and he's taking that as approval from voters to continue to work that he started. He, he's also going to work to move the state to 100 percent renewable energy by 2040. Um, and uh, he also talked a lot about Colorado for all. That was the theme of, of his inauguration. And he says that he wants to really work for all Coloradans, those who voted for him, those who did not, those who disagree with him. And, and that's a, that was a big theme for him. And then on the lawmaker side of things, what are you hearing in terms of priorities from the majority party in both the Senate and the House? I, I sat down with Senate President Steve Fenberg this week to discuss exactly that. And um, he, he sort of reiterated one point that Polis said, which was that Democrats have a mandate from voters, given that they 
you know, won a majority, a, a veto-proof majority in the House and a significant majority in the Senate. That consensus among voters, he, he says, Steve Fenberg says, is that the Democrats have governed responsibly over the last few years and that they that voters want them to continue doing that. And one big part of that, he said, is gun control and additional gun regulations. He says voters are anxious about guns in Colorado and want lawmakers to fix the problem. Fenberg says that he's in line with Governor Polis' goal of 100% renewable energy by 2040 here in Colorado. The third priority that Fenberg talked about was uh, housing and using housing as a way to lower commutes, reduce urban sprawl in urban areas, and sprawl into rural areas as well, which will help with a lot of things, cost of living, could help with the environment, et cetera, as far as Senate President Fenberg says. Lucas, thank you so much for taking a couple minutes to chat with me today. Thank you so much. It really is always a pleasure. That was KOTO's Lucas Brady-Woods reporting from Denver. Tucked away on the outskirts of the Mountain Village core, uphill from the peaks and just north of the Gondola Plaza, the North Village Center parking lot might be getting a revamp. Also known as Lot 109R, the parking lot has been considered for a hotel development since 2010. This Thursday, the Mountain Village Town Council and the potential developer, Tiara Telluride LLC, will do a site walk at noon, followed by a meeting at 3.30 to consider Tiara's latest application. The proposed luxury hotel would be operated by six senses and have roughly 100 units for visitors as well as a handful of employee apartments. Restaurants, commercial space, and other amenities are incorporated into the plan as well. Both the site walk and the meeting to follow are open to the public. The spring semester is officially upon us. Students are in classrooms, teachers are teaching, but where do parents go if they have questions, comments, or concerns? This week, the Telluride School District will host a coffee talk for families and parents to meet, ask questions, and chat with the Telluride School District Board of Education and School District Superintendent John Pandolfo. The Telluride School District Coffee Talk will take place at the Greenhouse at La Cocina on Friday, January 20th from 8.15 to 9.15 a.m. On Monday, Americans celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day to honor the birthday of the civil rights icon. Dr. Rayland Robaca, founder and director of the University of Colorado Boulder's Center for African and African American Studies, says he thinks of MLK Day as, quote, Civil Rights Movement Day, unquote, and part of a continuum of protest going back centuries. Martin Luther King Jr. continued a struggle that started during our enslavement, right? And the uh, progressive people we got together with in the abolitionist movement. Yes. And so the civil rights movement is nothing but the 20th century version of the abolitionist movement. And now what I'm trying to do is expand the realm of possibility of what it is that we're talking about when we say abolition. Abolition of the prison industrial complex, the military industrial complex, and other oppressive structures, Dr. Rabaka says, should be a focus of the current abolitionist movement. Across the West, bighorn sheep are at risk of catching pneumonia. 
The illness can kill off herds and throw off entire ecosystems. Wyoming researchers are currently monitoring a Jackson herd, and they're taking to the air to look after the health of the sheep. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KHOL's Hannah Mersbach reports. A helicopter flies above the snowy open hills in the Grovant Wilderness in Teton County. Researchers like Allison Cordemanch are capturing big horned sheep. This time of year, they should be in their best body condition coming out of the summer and the fall. She's one of the many researchers with the Wyoming Game and Fish Department out here on this frigid winter morning. Pilots are tracking down nearby sheep, which have GPS collars. Crew shoot down a net, and one member called a mugger jumps out of the helicopter, binds a bighorn's legs together, and blindfolds it. Cordemanche says this keeps the sheep relatively calm as it dangles on a rope below the helicopter. It's flown back to the researchers in hills nearby, where they take measurements before releasing the sheep back to the wild. So we're looking at the amount of fat that they have on their body to get an idea of how well they did through the summer. Cordemanche and other biologists gather this data before and after the winter to see how the habitat is impacting the Jackson herd. 6'11", 34'30". First we put it on the scale so we can get body weight and then bring it over to be processed on the mat. That's Ben Regan, a research scientist holding down one of the squirming female sheep. And we start off by getting a temperature and that way we can see if the sheep is hot, if the, if the chase time might have been a little bit longer. As the helicopter flies overhead, Regan uses an ultrasound to measure fat on the sheep. Then he checks to see if she's lactating, to see if she has a lamb. Next comes the tonsil and nasal swabs. Basically, we're able to look at what pathogens they have that might possibly lead to uh, pneumonia, which is a big disease that affects wild sheep in the West. There used to be about 2 million bighorn sheep in North America. The National Wildlife Federation says now there are less than 100,000 of them. Cordemanche says this is largely due to pneumonia, which was introduced by domestic sheep. Wildlife scientist Kevin Monteith is with the University of Wyoming. He says die-offs from pneumonia happen when the population is reaching its carrying capacity in the local habitat. When we reach those, those high levels of abundance, that can be tied to animals that are competing for food, which means poor nutritional condition, which means kind of one more layer that they're contending with when you add their efforts to contend with pathogens at the same time. The last herd die-off was a decade ago, and the researchers worry it's due for another. Recently, the herd had over 500 sheep, a high for the group. So in the fall, the Game and Fish Department issued limited hunting permits for the female sheep for the first time. Researchers predict that by reducing the population, the herd will become healthier with more food to go around, and they'll be able to fight off the illness. And so this population is very large right now. It's near that historic abundance where we often see those those crashes. And so we've been sort of waiting, wondering if we're going to see it and if we're going to actually observe that. At the recent Jackson capture, the researchers didn't sound the alarm, but they are seeing red flags. More lambs have been dying of pneumonia, and the sheep have slightly lower levels of body fat, which has been on the decline for the last few years. Monteith says it's still too soon to know if reducing the herd has had any impact. The reality is it just simply takes time. But this herd is thriving compared to another group of bighorns that traverses cliffs nearby in the Tetons. 
Those sheep have received heightened attention in recent years as development restricts migration patterns, which some environmentalists say is threatening their health. Allison Cordemange with the Game and Fish Department manages both the Jackson and the Teton herd. You have one herd that's almost doing too well and that we need to kind of reduce the population numbers. And then we have another herd like the Tetons that's struggling and not doing very well. So we do very different management depending on, you know, what's going on with that specific population. Researchers will reassess the population of the Jackson herd in February and then decide if they should issue even more hunting permits. But today, the captured bighorn sheep get to return to the wild. So we're about to release them back onto the hillside. The biologists carry a female sheep over to the nearby hill, remove her blindfold, and untie her legs. And within a few seconds, she takes off through the snow, ready to brave the winter ahead. Hannah Mersbach, KHOL News. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for snow showers tonight with a low near 20 degrees. Tuesday calls for a high near 30 degrees and snow with new accumulations totaling 4 to 6 inches. Snow likely continues into Tuesday night when the low is around 14 degrees. Wednesday calls for a chance of snow with a high near 25 degrees and Wednesday night will likely be cloudy with a low around 5. This has been the news for Monday, January 16th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.